Our reading is from Psalms 12 today. To the choir master, according to the Sheminth, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord, oh, excuse me. <laughs> May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us, who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. You guys can be seated. Thank you, Riley. Appreciate that. So I'd like you to turn in your, your Bibles or your, your devices to Psalm 12. And uh, if you have a hard copy of the word, if you kind of go right to the middle of it and let it fall open, you'll probably be Psalms or Proverbs, and you'll be pretty close to Psalm 12. So we this is message number two in a 13-week series in the Psalms called Soul Food with the idea that the souls that feed on the Psalms will feel their effects. And so no matter where your summer takes you, because I know already we can begin to see it, like people scatter here and there, but no matter where your summer takes you, I hope you will track along with us and spend some time in the Psalms. The first two messages are going to be Psalms of the type that we spoke of last week called Lament. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 12 today and Psalm 13 next week. These Psalms of Lament are written for individuals and churches uh, in which there's a cry of distress. Something is wrong. There's a situation, and we're asking God to move and to have pity. Now, to help us think through Psalm 12, I would like to introduce you to someone, an ancient saint whose name is Augustine. Augustine was a, a towering figure in church history, and among the many gifts, well, first of all, this guy, is, he's fascinating. If, you've, if you want to read a fascinating biography, he went from a very antagonistic and, and a very profligate, sinful man to a great defender of the faith, and he attributes it all to the prayers of a godly mother named Monica. And uh, it's just a, it's a fascinating conversion story, but one of the many gifts that he left to the church is an analogy. And here's how this analogy goes. At the fall of mankind, all the way back in Genesis, when we first fell into sin, all of mankind fell into two cities, the city of God and the city of man. Now, we are all born into the city of man, but it is possible for us to migrate to the city of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, the thing is about these two cities is that they have, they're marked by love. Both of them love something. In the city of man, you have love for self, and, and you have a lust for power. Okay, so all the citizens of the city, that's what they're marked by, versus a love for God and a sacrifice for others. So each of these cities have loves, and it doesn't matter whether you're from, you know, Milford, Delaware, or Mumbai, you're going to fall into one of these two cities. All right, so... Here's, here's our analogy. Today in Psalm 12, we have a situation here in which everybody around the psalmist seems to fall into the other city. 
does not share his love. And so they are, they are seeking power, they are serving themselves, and he looks around and says, I, I can't find anybody who is loving God and loving other people. And so this is written for King David by four individuals to use as a lament. And he envisions a society in which everything has broken down. And this, this self-love and this lust for power is, is showing itself in a certain way. And it's showing itself by lying, which makes sense because people who serve themselves don't necessarily hesitate to do whatever is necessary to advance themselves. So you just kind of watch any of the, uh, the reality shows on, on television, you know, where there's like cutthroat type competitions where people, when you get them on camera away from their, their coworkers, they're saying terrible things. They're spinning things. And, and so you see just how quickly this can break down. Now, you may, like me, work in a, in a Christian environment, um, in a church, you would hope so, uh, where people love God and love each other. Or you may be in a very, very challenging environment where it's characterized by the love of self and this pursuit of power, and it's manifested in lying. Now, it doesn't matter what situation you find yourself in, you, you need to listen to this because we, we don't stay in the same sphere, do we? We, we move around, so hopefully your experience in your community group or on a Sunday morning is different than your experience at your place of work or coaching the local Little League or whatever. So as you can see, as individuals, we're going to move in between these spheres, and some of these spheres will be marked by, by not, not loving God. And so when, you're find, uh, when you find yourself in one of these spheres, if the pressure is relentless enough, you, you may be dismayed. You may be in a situation where you're like, this is hostile. This is oppressive. I can't take this anymore. And if so, Psalm 12 is here for you. So the point today is that believers who face the challenging situation of being surrounded by liars can move from dismay, because that's where we're going to start in this psalm, from dismay to confidence when they understand the following facts. And so Psalm 12 is going to give us a bigger picture of what is going on in every situation. But the goal here is to move us from this this feeling of, I can't take this anymore, to confidence in God. So fact number one that's going to move us from dismay to confidence. Now this this is a bright and cheery one, okay? The faithful will fail and everyone else will try to get ahead. And we see this in verses 1 and 2. The faithful will fail, and everyone else is going to try to get ahead. So as laments often do, this one opens up with the situation and appeal for God to do something. And you can see this in the very first words, save, O Lord. Now, you may note, if you're looking at a copy of scriptures, that Lord is capitalized, all the letters. And as many of you know, this is referring to the covenant name of God the Hebrew word Yahweh. And this is, the, this is God's name when he is showing that he is faithful in his covenant love to his people. Now, the situation, it moves right into the situation. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. So here's the situation. You can't find a godly person. You can't find a faithful person. Or you could say you can't find a reliable or a trustworthy individual. 
Now, it's not as if the person who prays Psalm 12 believes that there aren't any godly people that exist on the entire earth. No, that's not the situation. Even King David, even when he was running from Saul, he still had Jonathan who loved him. Even when he was running from his son Absalom who was trying to stage a coup, he still had faithful people around him. The situation here is not that there's not another godly person anywhere on the face of the earth. The situation is is that in your sphere, there is nobody with the influence to help you. In other words, the influence of the godly has failed or been lost. Now, it's not hard to imagine a situation for David in which he actually was living in that reality. If you took a uh, David story and made a miniseries out of it, uh, it would be riveting. And it would also be rated TVM. I mean, he gained hero status quickly. All the women of the land uh, had a crush on him. They were singing his praises. But the king, King Saul, became insanely, murderously jealous. And the king was probably not David's only enemy in the court. In 1 Samuel 26, David had a chance to kill King Saul, but he didn't take it. But then he had this chance to speak to King Saul at a distance. And he called to him, and this is, what, this is what he said. He said, if it is the Lord who stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it's men who are stirring you up against me, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they've driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord. Essentially, he's saying, Saul, I don't know who's got your ear. I don't know who's stirring you up against me, but, but somebody is. And they weren't just in court. As David went through and you read the account, he would go to a town and the town would shelter him while, while sending messengers to Saul to say, he's here. So David was really in that situation where he could not tell who was on his side. Again, laments are, are generalized and individual. You don't have to say, well, this is only for David's situation. This lament is for a person who can't find a godly person who has influence, who can rescue them. It's kind of like that spy movie or action movie where, where the organization has been, been compromised at the highest levels and, and the hero is called and somebody whispers hoarsely, trust no one. That's the situation. Now, what about you? Are you, are you in a doggy dog situation? Uh, you're constantly on your guard. You're not sure who's on your side. That's a tough position to be in. I can, I can remember one time in my life where I had um, someone say to me, literally, you'd better watch your back, Collier. We're going to get you. And what followed was an intentional sabotaging and lies and just general unpleasantness. And it was union management stuff. And, uh, you know, and it probably happens all over the place in the world every day. But this was different because this happened to me, and it was personal. And really, when somebody says something like that to you, it's not something you forget. And it's not that there was no other godly people in that place. I had a friend who, who was, a, was a very godly person, and, uh, but he didn't have the influence to help me. And so it was one of the first times in my life where I would say, I could say, save, O oh God, for the godly have ceased. Now, I realize that some of you... Uh, you face this on, on a daily basis. This is your reality. And, and I, can, I can only tip my hat to you and just say, you, you are courageous. And your perseverance is inspiring. And if you were to share that with me or other godly friends, 
we would pray for you because, because you need this help. So it's a fact, according to Psalm 12, that godly will fail and their influence will fail. And then note what everyone else is doing. So the godly are failing. What is everyone else doing? All the other children of men. They're uttering lies to their neighbors with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. And notice, they're, they're busy getting ahead. They're busy doing whatever it takes. Say whatever, spin the truth, talk behind the back. Uh, and notice that it says everyone is doing this. This is a pervasive culture. You're like, well, that sounds like an exaggeration to me. Well, it might. But, you know, look at the companion phrase. With flattering lips and a double heart. When words are used to build up favor in order to get somewhere, that's flattery. When the motivation isn't pure, that's what it means to have a double heart. Uh, literally, the, the words are a heart and a heart. They've got two hearts, two hearts. Single-hearted means that they're sincere. What they say is what they mean. How they are towards you to your face is how they are towards you when they're not with you. But a double heart, you don't know their motive. Even when they're being very nice, you don't know what they're saying when others are talking about you. You know, even the way that we can use words builds, builds a narrative. Um, and, and both sides of political spectrum does this, but community activist Saul Alinsky says this, the one who controls the language controls the masses. Okay, so it's true that, that we take language and the way that we use it will tell people what our worldview is. So it's no wonder that the alarmed are, are the faithful are alarmed and they're calling for help. So when you have a believer who's in this situation and, and they're surrounded by people who are flattering and lying and you don't know who to trust, uh, you may be tempted to dismay, but you can have confidence. Now we're moving toward that, but here's more bad news, okay? Fact number two. Those who are able will overwhelm whoever they can and feel pretty good about it. And we see this in verses three and four. Now, the psalmist makes a wish that the Lord would put a stop to this lying and, and does it with very colorful language. Um, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips. I think, I think the, uh, the message shockingly says, slice off their lips. <laughs> Yikes. Which is, which is what, what, what is this here? This is not a call to do violence to them. This is asking God to, to limit their influence limit the damage that they're doing with their words. But it may even be bigger than that. Notice that he's personifying the wicked as he calls them not people, but flattering lips and tongues. He's like as if this characterizes everything about them. And the righteous is calling for God to start sorting things out. King David is the righteous king. It was his job to defend Israel. And he was saying, I want to cut these people out of the kingdom. I don't want them here. I don't want them in power. You know, to use the analogy, um, he wants the kingdom of God to, excuse me, the city of God to advance and the city of man to diminish. This is really the same thing as praying what Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, it is right for us to pray, God, we want your will to be done on earth now, these people, these flattering lips and tongues, they, they aren't just run-of-the-mill liars. They seem to be people of influence. If you've got your scripture in front of you, look, look at verse 4. 
So these aren't just every, every, every man's who are like going around lying, although there are people doing that, but, but they're making these boasts. With our tongue, we will prevail. In other words, they say, we're winning. What else do they say? Our lips are with us. They're like, well, of course their lips are with them. Uh, well, they're thinking of their lips as a, as a sword by their side. My, my words are a weapon. They're a trusty weapon, and they never fail me. They're at our disposal. And then they say, who is master over us? In other words, no one can tell us what to do. In other words, they are overwhelming the righteous with their words, and they feel really, really good about it. They're boasting about it. Now, you know, as I was reading this, I couldn't, couldn't help but thinking, you kind of have to hand it to them. They do understand the power of the tongue. You know, a lot of times, you know, kids, sticks and stones may break our bones. Yeah, you hear that. That's balderdash, right? That's, that's, that's done, not true at all. Words do hurt, and they do understand this. It's not just words. Uh, these guys would not be so flippant. They know what words can do. Now, it's really easy to get dismayed if you don't expect that people with quick minds and with ready tongues are going to dominate everything because they will. Now, thus far, it's not really been encouraging stuff, but here's the plot twist. God hears the appeal. God hears the boasting, which leads us to the next fact that leaves believers. We're starting to move from this dismay at this situation to confidence. Fact number three is this. God will commit himself to save the poor and needy. Now, as the structure of the psalm goes, this is the very center of the psalm where God rises up and commits to save them. Notice the words, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan. It is the desperation of these people that moves God. Do you recall the, uh, the amazing fact that we, we talked about last week that 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 God can be influenced by my words. God can be influenced by my situation. Well, here it is, displayed. God is moved by it. Now, you may say, yeah, but, but what if you aren't poor and needy? Like, we're all pretty, doing pretty well, you know, we're you know, a lot of us middle class. You know, we have a range of socioeconomics, but, you know, even as a nation, we're, we're doing pretty well. Are we, any of us, truly poor and needy? You know, but as I thought about it, David was probably from a pretty well-to-do family. And David wrote this when he was a king. Yet he didn't hesitate to call himself poor and needy. And I think this points to the fact that neediness is not always financial, though it can be. But just because you're poor doesn't mean you're part of the city of God. But more likely, it points to this truth that often godly and faithful people are often beat up and left in tears and groaning because they've stood in the way of the lust for power. Being without resources may be material, but it may be being without influence. And all of us find ourselves in that situation at one place or another. And when you say, I I am without influence, I'm without power, I can't do anything about it, then you can say with David, I am poor and needy. And God's commitment here in these verses, is simple and it is strong. I will now arise, says the Lord. And I want you to note that word, now. I will arise now. It shows that God isn't always 
seeming to move. Sometimes he seems to be sleeping from our perspective, but he can be moved when his people are being beat up and they have tears and groans. Now God arises. And the simple finality of his statement, uh, he doesn't have to thump his chest and boast like the wicked. He says just this, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. He promises to make all things right finally, and that is a fact. Now, verse 6 is going to introduce another fact, and it seems to be kind of how God is going to do this, how God is going to rise up and deliver. So when we're facing a really challenging situation, we, we're going to not dismay, we can move to confidence when we understand this, and we see it in verse 6. The words of the Lord stand alone, pure and refined. Now, verse 6, the words of the Lord, it, it kind of rises almost like this, it, as if it wasn't connected to everything else. It's just like this, this all of a sudden this bursts out as a hymn of praise to God's, God's words. And it stands against the lies that we saw in verse 2. And the words of God stand against the boasts that we see in verse 4 and 5. And, and now, I'm not a silversmith, and I, I don't know any silversmiths. And uh, if you're a silversmith, you can correct me afterwards. But I, I read enough to know that refining something seven times is overkill. And the point being here that God's word is ultra pure. It is the opposite of everything that is, is we've seen before, flattery and boasting. It is simple and clean and one-hearted and sincere and as pure as can be. It's our only hope. And so when God says, you know what, I'm going to arise and I am going to deliver them, it may be your situation. It may be when God sets all things right, but it may be that he takes his word and applies it to you. And that is why God's word is so precious to believers, guys. You know, when you're, when you're tempted to dismay and you're reading, uh, here, here are some of the things that Psalm 119 says about the word of God. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Or I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. If you've been in a situation where you're parched, you're dismaying, and you read God's word, and all of a sudden you find a promise, and, and the Holy Spirit takes that promise and he applies it to you in a special way, and you take that thing and you hold it, and you put it in your heart and you think about it, it steadies you and it saves you, and it's like you have a treasure. That is the experience of God's people with God's word. And so when you're tempted to dismay and everyone's loving themselves and lusting for power and they're doing it at your expense and the expense of everyone around them, it really does feel like shifting sand. So where can you turn? You can turn to God's pure and powerful promises, even in places like the one that we're reading, Psalm 12. And so to have just like a brief recap of what we've seen thus far. So the godly have made their appeal. The wicked have made their boast. God wakes up, and then God says his word is pure. Now, what are we to make of this? Has the situation changed? So, so it's, a, it's a Tuesday morning, and you're under this intense pressure, and, and you've cried out to God, and, and people are still lying, and you have God's word in front of you, and, and God says, I'm going to save you. 
So are the two-faced people making your life miserable? Or are they going to get fired and lose their influence? Maybe not. Will you get the promotion and your boss say, you know, I took your side the whole time? Maybe, but probably not. Is God immediately going to bring in the age of righteousness in which the wicked fail and the righteous dominate? He's going to, but probably not on Monday. So here's the new situation. This is fact number five. The faithful will be protected and the wicked will continue to do their thing. These two verses are pretty fascinating because verse seven, you have this this expression that God is going to keep us and guard us forever. But then the final verse ends on that pessimistic note again. The wicked are prowling around and vileness is exalted among everybody. So, you know, when you're aware of this epic struggle, we've got lies versus God's word, God versus boasting liars. Uh, The needy one in your situation, you're saying like, okay, I see like this epic thing that's going on. But my situation, when I look at it, it looks very much like it did before. But there's one major exception. Now, the needy one has moved from being dismayed to being confident. And here's what they're confident of. You, O Lord, will keep them, the needy ones. You will guard us. Okay, you see how it became corporate and personal? You will guard us from this generation forever. You know, in Psalm 23, when it says, I will be in the house of the Lord forever, same thing here. The the phrase is for length of days. In other words, as long as I live on this earth and forever, for eternity, you are going to keep us. And that is our confidence. So we can move from this dismay to this confidence. But here's the interesting thing. As for the wicked, they're confident too. They just keep on prowling or going to and fro, unhindered, with free access, And guess what? People are applauding them. Vileness is exalted among the Son of Man. They hold award ceremonies. They try to see how shocking and how vile they can possibly be. They compete in blasphemy, perhaps. They pass around outrageous and unfair memes. They tweet, retreat, follow, create echo chambers. And and believe me, actually, people on all sides of the spectrum do this. Both sides of the political spectrum create these echo chambers, using words to advance their means. But, but here we are, people who are exalting in, in vileness, and they congratulate themselves on, on the wonderful put-down that has been done on their opponents. Guys, all of this behavior, all of this behavior is, is applauding, is applauding vileness. But the thing is, everything's shifted The poor and needy aren't shaken because they're also confident that God is heard. God is at work. And so the message to us today is don't be dismayed. Psalm 12 is your cry. And we're armed with insider knowledge that that our God has heard us. That their boasts are not going to come to anything. That he's moved by my tears. That his word is a constant companion and a constant treasure. You know, I, I would just like to close in saying that this whole city of God analogy, city of God, city of man, um, we're all born into the city of man. Like we are serving ourselves. We are lusting for what we want. But how do you move to the city of God? You ask. 
For as many as believed in him, to them gave he power to become the sons and the daughters of God. We simply ask and bank and we'll make that migration. So if today you say, wow, my, my life is actually characterized by trying to get ahead, pushing forward, and, and I would actually be characterized more on the other side than the righteous, then that transition, that movement can be, be yours today. So I trust wherever you're at today that Psalm 12 is speaking to you and that even if you're not in that situation, you will put it in your pocket and you will know that it is here for you when you have to make that lament. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for this first cry that we can make when we're in distress. Thank you that you hear our prayers, that you are attentive to our needs, and that you are ready to answer. And so, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on this earth, and that it would start today in our hearts as we move from dismay to confidence, because you've spoken. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.